Today's lesson from Acts is all about dissension in the church. Can you imagine that? Dissension in a church. Not in a single church, but in the, in the big church. You'd think we'd have that all solved by now, but we're still human, so there's that. In today's lesson, Paul and Barnabas had finally completed their first missionary journey, and they came back to Antioch. Antioch was the church where they started, where the other men laid hands on them, prayed for them, and sent them out to do God's work. So when they got back to Antioch, they gathered the congregation, and they had a congregational meeting, and they told them stories about their travels. They told them about the people they encountered, and they told him about how God had opened a door of faith for the Gentiles. This was exciting stuff. This was new stuff. And it was certainly cause for celebration. But no sooner had the celebration begun than trouble showed up. And that trouble was actually triggered by the great success that they had in bringing Gentiles to faith. Isn't that ironic? They had just had a congregational meeting where people had been rejoicing over the great things that had happened on this journey. And suddenly it's all spoiled by these men who came in with big complaints about what they were doing with all these Gentile converts. At first, Gentile conversions in the Jewish church They went on, but they were very few, one at a time, or maybe two. It was easily manageable. Small numbers of converts had always been part of the synagogue. And in their conversion, they became Jews. They they became uh, subject to Jewish law. But now that trickle of the occasional convert, was more like a raging river. They were coming in from everywhere. And by the way, these were not the Gentiles who had shown up, stood in the back of the synagogue, or stood outside to observe, to learn about Jewish customs, to try to assimilate into the Jewish community. No. These people were being converted from paganism. They had no concept of Jewish religious practices, no idea about God's laws, about how God had instructed his people to conduct themselves. They were absolutely outsiders to these Jews. So this presented a major issue for the church. Here they had people being brought in and baptized, but not circumcised. And circumcision was part of the process for the Jews. They were becoming Christians without taking on the identity of the Jews. They were keeping their Greek or Syrian or Asian national and cultural identities. And this was a huge problem. Here we have the original Jewish Christians who were worried that the very foundations of Christianity were being undermined by this influx of Aliens. 
of Gentiles who had no real understanding of what came before. This is so much worse, so much worse than having visitors show up that don't understand our Book of Common Prayer. This is, this is people that were nothing like the Jews and had no knowledge about their laws and traditions. Let's not forget, this all took place around 45 to 50 A.D., which is less than 20 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. So there's no New Testament yet. The Jews are relying on the teachings of the Old Testament. I wonder if they just called it the Testament at that point. Maybe not. I don't know. But on one level, these Jews were right. They were right to be worried. This moment was a real turning point for the church. So what happened? These individuals come down to Antioch to see what's happening there. The word has gotten up to Jerusalem that there's something going on here and they need to come check it out. They arrive and they immediately begin teaching these new converts that new Christians must be circumcised. Their point is that salvation comes through the people of Israel and so obeying the law of Moses is vital and circumcision is required, period, end of story. So these Jews were saying that without circumcision, you couldn't be saved. They were going beyond the facts of Jewish history. They were, at this point, they were relying on church tradition and practices to establish their their theology for what it meant to be Jewish. They had forgotten that circumcision was given to Abraham as a sign of the covenant that God had made with him. A covenant of grace entered into by faith. Got that? A covenant of grace entered into by faith. But they had take that, taken that sign and turned it on its head and said, now it's, it's a condition, it's a prerequisite for salvation. You can't be saved without it. Now Paul had preached to the Gentiles that faith in Christ alone was what was needed for salvation. And here were these people saying, nope, that's not enough. You also need to be circumcised. But Paul and Barnabas happened to be there when these men arrived, and Paul saw the problem right away. I can imagine his thinking. He has just spent weeks preaching and teaching these new Gentile converts and teaching them that salvation was by grace through faith alone. And now they've shown up here, and here are these men saying, Well, that's not quite true because he didn't tell you you got to be circumcised. That's like a bait and switch thing. Yeah, you can still get salvation through faith after you do this. That was a major gospel issue that Paul and Barnabas had to defend. And isn't that the central message of the gospel? Isn't it that salvation is given as a free gift from God? That it comes through faith alone? And isn't the result of that that we're all one in Jesus Christ? So Paul deals with this disagreement head on. 
And it isn't just a disagreement between a few these few men. This is a major gospel issue for the whole church. The whole congregation needs to understand the principles at stake. And this needs to be aired publicly and aired out and resolved. So with the people at Antioch being at an impasse, the question gets sent to Jerusalem, to a council of elders of the worldwide church. This is the first of a series of church councils that were called during those first few centuries of the church. Their purpose was to settle issues of theology and to clarify doctrine, to end controversies like this, and to establish peace within the church. So when they get to Jerusalem, Peter reminds the council of his own experience with the household of Cornelius. You heard about that a few weeks ago. He was sent to, Peter was sent to this household of Cornelius with all these Gentiles. And the Holy Spirit tells him to go. And so he goes. And when he preaches and teaches and prays with them, the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the Gentiles, just like it's been poured out upon the Jews. And that drove home for Peter the point that if God has made these people clean, who are we to say they're not? So he reminds the council of that. And especially he reminds them that it's only through the grace of the Lord Jesus that we're saved. So that opens the door. He was the opening act for Paul and Barnabas so that they could step forward and they could tell their story about their first missionary journey and the Gentile conversions. And finally, James, as leader of the church, speaks. His conclusion is wise and godly, and it's based on his thorough understanding of Scripture. He quotes the words of Amos, where God says he will restore Israel, at the same time including in it those Gentiles who bear his name. So the inclusion of the Gentiles is not some kind of divine afterthought or some kind of ego trip on the part of Paul and Peter. No, this is all part of God's salvation plan, as it was foretold by the prophets. Then James concludes, we should not trouble those Gentiles who are turning to God, but we should write to them to abstain only from things polluted by idols and from fornication and from whatever has been strangled and from blood. In other words, He asks them to keep away from things that would make them unacceptable to their Jewish brothers and sisters, idolatry, fornication, and non-kosher foods. These things aren't meant as a condition of salvation. Instead, they're to do with the fellowship that's to be enjoyed between the Jewish and the Gentile Christians. Well, James' wisdom was accepted by the council, And so Paul and Barnabas are sent back to Antioch with a letter explaining the the council's decision. And they are accompanied by Judas and Silas. And these two men were sent by the council to be reinforcements, just to back up Paul and Barnabas, 
to make sure that it's understood that this is really what happened and to make sure that, that their authority is not going to be undermined anymore. And as a result, they get back to Antioch and the church rejoices again. So what have we seen here? Well, we've seen that when a disagreement over theology occurs in the church, it needs to be dealt with by the church as a whole. And what do we do when divisions occur? Well, first, we rely on God's word to establish the foundations of our belief. The first thing we should do when we're faced with an issue in the church is to ask, what does the Bible say that might help us to resolve this? Second, we return to the basis of our salvation. What is it that brings salvation? Is it faith in God alone or a combination of faith and law-keeping? Well, no, it's faith alone. At one point, Jesus told the Pharisees, you can't put new wine into old wine skins. And these words are, are kind of played out in the early church through this passage. The old ways of the Pharisees, of law-keeping as a means to salvation, no longer apply the way they did. Now the grace of the gospel has superseded the old way. Biblical truths beat man-made law every single time. The gospel is all about the grace of God. The freely given forgiveness won by Christ on the cross. Well, 2,000 years later, here we are. We still have dissension in the church. We still have not resolved all these issues. But we're called on to rely on our Christian faith to figure out how to proceed. I'd like to point you to three specific Bible verses. They're not long, and you've heard of all of them. First one is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The second one is from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And finally, Matthew 22, 37 to 40. I know some of you are sitting there thinking, well, that doesn't sound familiar. But I'll tell you what, you already heard it this morning. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now it's 2,000 years later. We still have dissension. We're still Christians. God calls us as part of his family to conduct ourselves accordingly. People who are not Christians should be able to know we are Christians by the way we conduct ourselves. And as long as there are humans on this earth, I have no doubt that dissension will continue in the church. 
But Christianity doesn't exist for the point of the church. The church exists to build his kingdom, and we are his Christian church. Let us pray. Dear Father, thank you for bringing us here today to hear this passage from Acts and to learn more about the spreading of your word by Peter and Paul and Barnabas and the others and learning about the early church. Lord, as we, as we leave here today, guide our thoughts, guide our steps. Help us to always know that we are yours. We are your family. We are your children and help us to conduct ourselves accordingly that others may know us by that. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.